Great, thank you very much. Morning, everyone. So, I think it's fair to say that as you look around at the weather, uh, summer is officially over, unfortunately. The sun has disappeared, the rain has come in, the two-week vacation is over, the kids are back in school, and you are back at work. And that is, Rob, you're shaking your head, I know, it's tough, but we're back at work. So that's what I want to speak about this morning. Whatever your job might be, um, just find my notes here. Whatever your job might be, maybe you're sitting at an office desk, maybe you're running around at a retail shop, maybe you're driving a vehicle across the country, uh, perhaps you're just at home with the baby. Whatever your job context might be, it's fair to say we're all back to work, the holiday's over, the vacation's done, and it's time to get back to it. Well, this morning, I just want to preach on the topic of work, and I want to ask the question, working hard or hardly working? And I want us to look at God's perspective on work itself briefly, and hopefully, from God's words, give a biblical and a godly perspective on, on work and how we approach it, what it is, how we engage with it, and what it actually means and does for us, for God, and for the world at large as well. So for many of us, I think you'll agree, myself included, the attitude towards work, the feeling, the thoughts, the conversations about work can usually be a little bit negative perhaps. We can talk about it as being a drag, being difficult, stressful, tiring, uh, something you, you have to do, something that's difficult, and all those things are legitimate, and they can, and it can be like that a lot of the time. But I just want us to watch this clip from a TV show a lot of us may have seen. It's only a very brief one, and there is a random bit in the middle with two ladies talking that you can just ignore, but I couldn't edit that out. But look at this clip, and I think you'll agree that there's a little bit of similarity between this gentleman called Keith Innit and perhaps us when it comes to work. Thanks. Under strengths, you've just put accounts. Yeah. That's your job. I mean, that's just, that's just... Mm. No, Keith, but I was sort of looking for your skills within your job, so is there anything else you could have put there? No. Okay. Um, under weaknesses, you've put eczema. Fantastically welcoming butler. <laughs> the wine was something else. Everyone's and Tim. Tim seems nice. Hey, yeah. <laughs> it's a good laugh. I just gonna. Um, Has he got a a girlfriend or Tim? <laughs> Why? What's up with you? Only thing. What are you? Would you? Mm -hmm. Um. <laughs> the equation. Yeah, I know. But I mean, if you weren't, would he be? Oh, my. <laughs> Madness. 
Right, you've, you've, le you've left this section completely blank, Keith. You haven't done the Q&A. I thought that you filled that in. No, 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 no. This is aimed at you. Look, um, look. To what extent do you believe that you have the skills and knowledge to perform your job effectively? And then you just tick one of the boxes. Not at all. To some extent, very much so. Don't know. What would you tick? Don't know. Okay. Um, question two. Uh, do you feel you have received adequate training to use your computer effectively? What are your options? Same as, they're always the same, always the same. Not at all, to some extent, very much so, don't know. Don't know. Don't know again, okay? Do you feel you are given the flexibility to decide how best to accomplish your goals? Do you want the options again? Yeah. Not at all. To some extent, always the same. Very much so. Don't, don't know. know. If don't know wasn't there, what would you put? Love the options. Not at all. To some extent. Very much so. Don't know. Very much so. Do you remember what the question was? No. Okay. Do you... Let's, we're going to leave that there. Oh, I love that clip. I first saw that, ironically, in my previous job. We were called in as a team to a meeting because they were restructuring the way we did appraisals, which is why the gentleman who was giving the presentation showed us that clip, and I thought it was hilarious. And as I was preparing for this, I thought, that just, for me at least, can sum up how I feel about work a lot of the time. Blank face, most of my answers I don't know, and... Um, and what do you think? Like, Keith, do you feel like Keith sometimes a little bit when it comes to work? A bit like you're there, you do what you can, most of the time you don't know, but you're trying your best, perhaps. I do. Don't know about you, but I do. So I think we can relate a little bit to Keith when it comes to work, or at least the world can. There's an attitude, there's a perspective about work that perhaps isn't biblical, isn't godly, and I think that can seep into just any person, regardless of if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior or not. But our perspective on work can be crooked, it can be a bit bent, it can easily seep into our conversations or our attitudes when we're having a chit-chat with our colleagues or with our friends during the weekend or after work about perhaps our struggle with the jobs we may do, whatever they might be. So before we go ahead, just so we're on the same page when it comes to work, I just want to give a really brief theology on work. Super quick, a very quick overview. And I want to do that first of all, just by turning, you don't need to turn to it, by turning to Genesis chapter 2, and it's verse 1 to 8 and 15, if you want to write that down for the future. It's Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 8 and 15. And this is the first unveiling of work, the first instance of being employed, you could say. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy 
because on it he rested from all the work of creation that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. No shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it, and to take care of it. So right from the outset of the Bible, and right from the outset of creation, there's the institution of work. Work has been instituted by God. It's a divine mandate by God. So it's not something that's been man-made. It's not something that we have to do because the big man wants to earn lots of pounds and wealth and riches. It's not something that the world over time has just formulated. It's something right from the beginning of things God willed to happen. God designed to be a part of our lives every day that we would steward our work, that we would work hard, that we'd be employed by someone and that we'd do it well. So it's an institution by God and it's a divine mandate. It comes from him. Work then is also a gift, which I know a lot of the times it doesn't feel like a gift, particularly on certain days, maybe Monday morning, your work doesn't feel like a gift. But God has given us work like a father gives a child a present. Strange present, but it's a present with a purpose. Work has purpose behind it. Work is a gift from God because it gives us lots of things. It gives us a sense of fulfillment in our lives, a sense of purpose, not the purpose, not the meaning, but it gives us a sense of that, it adds to it, and it's a gracious gift that God's given to us. Work was also established before the fall, so it is not the result of sin. Don't know about you, but I think sometimes people can think work is the result of sin. You know, the fall happened, Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, the world went to pot and everything in it, and out of that came work, came employment. (laughs) Out of that came your boss and his business. But that's not true. God gave us work before sin entered the world, before our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned against him. Work was a good thing, was a gracious thing, was a gift from him for us to enjoy, for us to give a lot of ourselves to, to give the best of ourselves to. So it wasn't a result of sin. It's not demonic. It doesn't come from the devil. He's not out to get you through your work. It actually comes from God. And then lastly, work is good. Work is a good thing. It's good for us. It's good for God. And it's good for others. Work is good for our health a lot of the time when we use it well, when we steward it appropriately, when we don't give a lot of ourselves, but we give the best of ourselves. We give the better of ourselves. So work is is a divinely ordered institute and a mandate from God, not from men. Work is a gift from God. Work was established before the fall. It isn't a result of sin. It's a good thing. 
and work is good. It blesses us, it does us well when we engage and apply ourselves to work. So, with that really brief overview of work, we're starting from the same place. We have a good understanding of where work came from and what work is. Let's just look really briefly in this sermon about how work blesses us. What happens when we work from God's perspective, when we observe our work from God's perspective afterwards? Yeah. Okay, so let's read, and I'll appear on the screen if you don't have it in your Bibles or your Bibles with you, from First Peter, and it's chapter 2, and it's verses 13 to 17. So First Peter, chapter 2, verses 13 to 17, it'll just appear on the screen behind me. Peter writes, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people. Do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So, firstly, work wins the world. What do I mean by that? Well, Christians through Peter's instruction, are being called to submit to human authorities. Peter is commending people to be submissive to civil institutions in our world. He's saying, submit, obey, go with the commandments of those institutions that are in our world, whatever they may be. Specifically, work, whoever you're employer is, whatever business or company or charity or person you might work for, submit to them, okay, respect and honor them, come under their authority and obey what they tell you to do and do that well. I'm sure most of us sitting here can give one example, if you reflect on your work, of times when we found that particularly difficult. I can think of a job before the one I have now where it was very strict so your lunch was timed, you going to the loo was timed. It was very target-driven, so you couldn't lose any minutes or seconds. So going to the loo was timed. You had only a couple of breaks throughout the day. If you were a second over your lunch, you got discipline for it by your team leader. Just all these restrictions, all these things that made work actually quite difficult and not want me to really obey those who enforce them and put them into place. And work can be like that. We can be working for people or we can be working in an environment or with our colleagues where it's really difficult to submit to them. It's really difficult to obey what you're being told to do for the good of your company or whoever it is you might work for. But if you think about it, or rather if you think that that's bad, imagine what it was like for the mid-first century people that Peter was writing to. So this is Peter's first letter to a, a group of churches that were new churches, that were early Christians. Um, and they were living at a time 
during Emperor Nero. I'm sure most of you here, if you remember your history, have heard of a guy called Emperor Nero. He was around about the time when this was written, which is 62 to 63 AD, possibly, and it was the beginnings of persecution of Christians. It wasn't quite widespread, it wasn't quite intense as it will be later on in history and later on when the other apostles write their letters, but at the moment it's just seeping in. Persecution, abuse, being put down, being got after is just about to seep in to the society at the moment. So imagine living in that time under Emperor Nero and amongst the Romans who were in that age when this was their attitude, when, when, when it, was a t- it was a time when Nero was blamed, or rather Nero blamed the Christians for a citywide fire in Rome. So there was, there was Rome, the city of Rome, there was Nero who was emperor reigning over it, and this fire breaks out, fire that absolutely wrecks the city, like the fire of London, if you remember in history, and it completely wipes it out for a time, and then Nero blames the Christians. So they're these new early church Christians. They're just rising up, as it were, spreading out. And then they're blamed for this absolute catastrophe, the results of which all the citizens, not just of Rome, but in the local area, start to develop a culture of, right, we've got to get rid of these guys. We've got to persecute them. We've got to run them out of town. We've got to get rid of them. We've got to come against them. So that's the time that's going on. It was a time when Christians were starting to be fed to the wild animals. If you remember perhaps a little bit of church history, Christians were being thrown into the Colosseum when the games happened, like the Olympic games, the Colosseum games where they would have wild animals. Christians were then being used as the bait for those wild animals. They were trapped in the cages below the, uh, the Colosseum floor where they would be risen up tigers, lions were then released, and that was their sports, that was their entertainment for the day. So the citizens, employers would come to see their employees, perhaps of the jobs they were in, or just their, the people they knew on their streets, being mauled by wild animals. It was also a time when people were being, again, caught by Nero and the authorities of those days, and the Christians were being encaged in this wooden prison. This wooden prison would be put on a pole, okay, those poles then, there'd be several of them, many of them. These poles then, with the cages on top, would be um, planted along the local streets and then would be lit on fire. So the fire, as you can imagine, would spread from the pole up to the cage and eventually the Christians would be burnt alive. And that was what they used for their lampposts. They were the lampposts of the day because they would light up the streets, but they'd be full of Christians in each individual cage. That was the time that Peter... The Apostle Peter was writing, and those were the types of people Peter was writing to. That is what they were going through at that moment. Imagine going to work as a Jewish or a Gentile believer, perhaps worse if you're a Jew at that time. Imagine going to work like that, to work for a Roman employer whose culture this was. This was their attitude. This was their thinking. This is their, their, their approach to Christians at that time. This is what they were seeing. This is what they were hearing about, all these things that were going on. This is what they were being influenced through. Imagine going to work for someone like that. Your boss had just the other day put a Christian in a wooden cage and lit it on fire or gone to the games to see one of your Christian brothers and sisters being mauled by a lion. 
This is literally what was going on at the time. It was like a hobby for them, a hobby to discriminate, badly treat, and abuse the people that they were employing. Imagine being in that time. So if we just go to the next slide, that's all right. There we go. So, so you can see Italy in the top left-hand corner, and you can see Rome, so the capital. So, so that was where the majority of it was happening. That was where Nero was reigning from at the time. There was the Roman church that Paul wrote to, if you remember. But then Peter is writing from Rome, so he's seeing it with his own eyes. He's seeing from the epicenter probably the harshest treatment of Christians at that time. But that's how harsh it was, and that's how influential that persecution and that abuse was for Christians in those days, that it spread all the way to where that red circle is. So Peter's writing to, if you can see it from there, it's a bit fuzzy, Peter's writing to the church in Asia, Bithynia, Galatia, Cappadocia, and Pontus, five churches very close by. And the persecution was so intense under Nero's reign and the, the Romans of that time that it spread to those five churches. And this was the early days. This was the 60s AD. So it was when the church was young, when it was fresh and new. So Peter's writing to those elect believers in those churches that are going through all these things. And he writes to them and he says what we've just read. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Can you imagine being a Jewish or a Gentile believer, just, just being a Christian in the, one of those five churches. You've just got a letter from your leader, your apostle, and he's saying, submit, obey, be respectful, be honorable. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor. So the emperor was Nero at the time, and Peter's saying, even though it's Nero, submit, obey. I know it's tough, I know it's hard, I know it's grotesque, but do it for the Lord's sake. Or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it's the Lord's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone including Nero, including your Roman employer who is after work going about trying to catch a few Christians. Love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. These believers were going through a tough time, yet they're called to submit and to subject themselves to the authorities and the institutions. Good conduct, working well, is to be expressed in a submissive acceptance of every human institution. That includes our jobs as well. Wherever you may work, submission, obedience, respect, and honor should be the Christian's traits in their office, with their colleagues, towards their boss. But why work hard when you feel your boss is a close relative of Nero? That that's what he's getting up to, it feels like. When you're engaging himself, when you're engaging with him, and it feels like they're out to get you, or work is hard, work is difficult, I can't cope with this. How can we do that? How can we obey what Peter's saying, what God is saying? Because 
And Peter says the reason why. Because working well will put a sock in our enemies' mouths. For want of a better word. Working well will put a sock in our enemies' mouths. Producing quality results in our work will benefit our society. And working well will shine an attractive light on the gospel, on Jesus, and on us then as the church. So perhaps those who are actively out to get Jesus, you may know of some people that are just atheists or, or quite antagonistic or violent towards our, our faith, towards Christianity. Those who just don't believe, you know, agnostic, they don't really know, it's not on their radar. Or those who just don't know or care will have nothing to say about us. They'll have no reason to say anything negative about us. When we approach our work submissively, obediently, with respect and with honor, when we work with quality and with excellence, whatever job we may have and whoever we might be working for, that shines a light on Jesus. It makes the gospel really attractive. It raises questions. Why and how do you work like this? We will be better able to commend Jesus to our colleagues and friends when they see our hard work, diligence, and honesty in the workplace. Our witness, sorry, our work is our witness. Our work can be our witness. Working well can win those in the world to Jesus that bit more. Let me just read from Matthew, chapter 5. It says this. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good work and glorify your Father in heaven. If you want to let your light shine, if you want to make Jesus attractive, the gospel interesting, and us as the church um, interesting as well, attractive, work well. Work well because people will take notice. People will ask questions. People will see and ask why, how, what's the cause, what's the reason. So work, so, so work can win the world that bit more to Jesus. Let's read on then from, chapter, from verse 18, chapter 2, verse 18. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they're conscious of God. But how is it, to your credit, if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Now, 21st century ears, modern ears, the term slave, hopefully most of us will cringe and will be like, ooh, civil rights movement, sex trafficking, you know, all those things. Slavery isn't good. That's right. Slavery is not good. Slavery isn't from God. Just a brief discourse. Slavery isn't from God. It's not his best intention or plan. 
But at the time, at the day, while slavery was through the gospel, through the teaching of the apostles, through the spreading out of the church, as slavery was being dismantled, it was being deconstructed, although it would take a long time, slavery back then, during that age, was very different from maybe what your minds would think of now when I use that term. I'm sure most of us would think of um, African-Americans during Martin Luther King Jr.'s time in America, civil rights movement. Some of us would think of today, sex trafficking. I was in London last Monday or the Monday before, and we were on the tube and I picked up a paper, and the, the paper, I can't remember which one, but it, it was all to do with uh, modern-day slavery, particularly sex trafficking at the moment, and just how much of it actually goes on, especially in um, e e cities, the epicenters of areas it's, it's still large at large. It's going on in places. But slavery back in those days was really different. Slavery was more like a university student who'd finished his first year but goes home for the summer and gets a summer job to earn a little bit of money. That was more like slavery back then. It wasn't too unlike um, a person that had finished their education but got an apprenticeship with a business just for a little time to earn some money and to gain some skills so that they can go out on their own. That's actually what slavery was more like. Not on the whole. There was some forms of slavery that were still abusive and unjust. There were harsh slave owners, like what Peter was saying. But on the whole, slaves were actually, back in those days, doctors. I know this was new to me as well when I read it. They were actually doctors, um, teachers, and other forms were they? They were doctors, teachers, do, 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 and people in authority as well. Do, do, do. So they were people that wanted to pursue their careers. They wanted to go into professions, but perhaps they didn't have the money. Perhaps they didn't have the family backing. So they would sell themselves into slavery, but it was more like an apprenticeship. It was more like um, a summer job. However, there are forms, like I've just said, where it wasn't like that at all, and they had harsh slave owners. And Peter is speaking to those people. People are speaking into that situation. The truth is, we all have liberty. We live in a free country, which is great. We can read whatever books we want to without them being taken off us and burned. We can pursue a family. We can aspire to different careers and get an education to have that career. But true freedom isn't doing whatever you want to do, but knowing what you should do and being able to do it. That's true freedom. True freedom isn't liberty for all, but it's lordship of one person, Jesus. So we're truly free when we come under Jesus Christ's lordship. We're really free when we're able to do what we know we should do, which is righteousness, holiness, godliness. That's being really free. That's true liberty. You're a slave to Jesus and his righteousness. Let me read something else as well. In Romans chapter 6, if you want to write down where it's from, verses 16 to 17. Romans 6, 16 to 17. This is Paul now writing to the Roman church in that map I just pointed out. So again, Paul writing to that church that was still going through some tough 
times abuse, injustice, persecution. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? Thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. We used to be slaves to sin. Jesus freed us, so now we're slaves to Jesus. But those two are different things. Slavery to sin led led to death. Slavery to Jesus leads to life righteousness, true freedom, grace. So we're employed by Jesus, we're his slaves. Obeying your employer and producing quality work will open up a door for blessing. Obedience opens up opportunity. Not just in a supernatural way, but in a natural way. So this is just wisdom. The more or rather the better we put in to our work, the better the results will be. If we put in excellence, if we put in quality, if we pour in godliness into our work, then the results of that will be excellence, will be quality. You get what you put in. And that's just wisdom. That's not the economics of God. That's not the spiritual laws of God, even if you don't know him then if you follow these laws, it's going to happen anyway. Like, I don't mean to bash them, but like prosperity preachers, health and wealth gospel might say, do these steps, do these keys, and this will be unlocked. It's just wisdom. It's just normal. If you, you, put, you get out what you put in. If you put in rubbish work, you're going to get rubbish work. Your boss isn't going to be happy. Your colleagues aren't going to be happy. You're not going to be happy because of the effort you put in. But if we put in excellent work, then we'll get that back. If we want to progress, and there's nothing wrong with these next things I'll say, if we want to progress in our careers or our work, if we want to earn more, and if we want to learn more, gain knowledge and wisdom and experience, then we need to do it God's way. Work hard, spend yourself, and apply yourself. The better you give, the better rewards and opportunities you'll have afterwards. So work wins the world. Obedience opens opportunities for you as you work well. And then next, let's just read, continue to read the last bit. Verses 21 to 25. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray. But now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. Jesus has left us an example, and we've run out of time, so I'll just wrap it up. Jesus has left us an example that labor leads to the Lord. Our labor, how well we toil, how better we work, will make us look more like Jesus. If we apply ourselves, if we work hard, and that that could be at an office desk, it could be on the retail shop floor, 
or the cafe. could be at home while you're looking after those children. If we work hard, if we give our best, if we work diligently with a good, strong character, again, we put that in, we'll get that back out. We will look more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit will work in our hearts and we'll be shaped and molded, changed and transformed to look like him more. When you go to work, it's not meaningless and pointless. When we go to work, every day, we're looking more like Jesus. When you pick up your hammer and your chisel and you work hard, or maybe that's what they did in their day, God is also picking up his hammer and his chisel and he's working hard on you. He's chipping away what needs to be chipped away. He's, he's adding what needs to be added and he's smoothing out those rough edges. Work is a blessing and a good thing for us to engage with and to do our best with. And I'll just finish with this because I think it's interesting. Just one bit of Greek word for you which I found funny because of the way it sounds. Hip, hip, hippogramos. Hippogramos is the word. I thought of hippo and I thought of grammar. Put the two together. Hippogramos. And it means literally to be traced over or to be copied from. And the word Peter's using when he says, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. That's the word. Hopogramos is what we've translated as example. What Peter's saying is, when you, when you work, you're looking more like Jesus. You're being traced over Jesus. We're like tracing paper when we go to work. And we're being traced in the image of Jesus. We're being copied more like Christ as we work. Jesus worked hard for us. He worked for us on the cross. He worked for us in his life. So let's copy and let's reflect that. So work wins the world. It's a witness. Uh, Obedience leads to opportunity. So we get rewards from the work we do when we do it well. And work and, and laboring leads to the Lord. It transforms us more and more into Jesus. Great, let's finish there. Oh, back over to Richard.